If you guys have a Bible, could you turn with me to Luke chapter 9? Luke chapter 9. For those of you guys who don't know, my name is Joel, and I am the new intern with UCF. And I don't know how new I am now, because at this point it's been about two months. Um, but I have the privilege to, to be here with you guys up here tonight, because as we mentioned earlier, Andy had a little hernia um, incident and uh, had to have surgery on his hernia and we weren't quite sure if Andy was going to be ready to preach come, um, come tonight, but Andy's recovering well, he's in a little bit of pain and he's here tonight, so just be gentle, don't give him a big slap on the back or abdomen or what have you. Um, Andy uh, he described the hernia injury to me as he said, you know, Joel, it was like someone blew up a balloon and it just popped in my stomach. And I said, dude, I think you have a hernia. Sure enough, he has his surgery for his hernia. Um, but hernia or no hernia, I'm really glad to be here with you guys tonight. Um, when, I, when I really think about the, the people who've gotten to stand up here and preach in the life of this ministry on a Wednesday night, um, it's really pretty unbelievable. Um, to drop a name, John Piper. To drop another name, Jeff Heine. Um, so... So I stand here in quite a legacy, so I'm excited about it. Um, what we've been doing since um, the beginning of the semester is taking a look at the six core values of UCF. Um, these are the things that we hope this ministry is about. Um, the non-negotiables, the main things, the essentials. And um, what, what they are is, is the word, um, worship, prayer, discipleship, um, community and mission, and we've we've preached on five of these, and tonight is kind of the last one, um, and it's discipleship. And for those of you guys who've been around church or, or Bible Belt or or um, ministry kind of environments for any amount of time, discipleship is a word you're probably pretty familiar with. Um, a lot of times we tend to think of discipleship as some sort of class we attend, um, some sort of thing we do in order to learn more things about God, about our faith. And um, I'm not really sure what the noise is, so I'm just going to keep going. Anyway, we tend to think of discipleship as some kind of, some kind of uh, educational kind of endeavor, something we learn. And um, tonight, from our text tonight, discipleship is going to be a little bit different than that. And that's not to say that, that education, that going to a class, that even be, being a part of a small group, a community group, something like that. Um, not that there's anything wrong with thinking of discipleship as some sort of class or some sort of group, something we belong to. Um, but just in our text tonight, Luke 9, discipleship is going to be a lot less like a class. And it's actually going to look a lot more ugly than that, a lot more painful than that. We say a lot more bloody than that. Um, discipleship from our text tonight is a lot less like a class, and it's a lot more like a cross. So let's take a look at it. Um, Luke chapter 9, beginning in verse 18. Now it happened that as he was praying alone, the disciples were with him. And he asked them, Who do the crowds say that I am? And they answered, John the Baptist, but others say Elijah, and others that one of the prophets of old has risen. 
Then he said to them, But who do you say that I am? And Peter answered, The Christ of God. And he strictly charged and commanded them to tell this to no one, saying, The Son of Man must suffer many things and be rejected by the elders and chief priests and scribes and be killed, and on the third day be raised. Verse 23. And he said to all, If anyone would come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross daily and follow me. Forever would save his life will lose it. But whoever loses his life for my sake will save it. For what does it profit a man if he gains the whole world and loses or forfeits himself? Forever is ashamed of me and my words. Of him will the Son of Man be ashamed when he comes in his glory. In the glory of the Father and of the holy angels. But I tell you truly, there are some standing here who will not taste death until they see the kingdom of God. Let's pray together. Lord, you are um, the greatest. You're the best. Lord, we've, we've sung about you. There's no one like you. Lord, who you are is enough. Um, but when we add on to that the things that you do, Lord, you are really unbelievable. You're good to us. And God, tonight I, I want to thank you for your word. And I thank you that it has the power by your spirit to open our eyes. Lord, that it has the power to unstop our ears. Lord, because I know that a lot of times my eyes are blind to the things of you and my ears are deaf to your voice. Um, God, so tonight I would just ask um, that you would really speak to us tonight. Um, Lord, I, I could not think of a bigger waste of time um, than if a group of people gathered here tonight. Um, to hear what I think. And God, I pray that you would spare us of that tonight. Lord, that you would speak. Lord, that you would change us. God, that you would rearrange our priorities. Um, Lord, that we would know what it looks like to be in discipleship, to be following after you. Speak to us tonight. It's in Jesus' name that we pray. Amen. There's so much in here, and um, we're just going to tackle it a little bit at a time. Um, Check out verse 18. Now it happened that as he was praying alone, the disciples were with him. And he asked them, who do the crowds say that I am? We have a really important um, moment in Luke's gospel here. To this point in Luke's gospel, um, at least one big theme has been the identity of Jesus, who this Jesus is. Um, In chapter 4, Jesus shows up in the synagogue at Nazareth. Andy um, preached his text two weeks ago. And he comes and he unrolls scrolls. And he basically proclaims himself as the salvation that has come to Israel. And he sits down and he said, Today, that scripture I just read from Isaiah, it's fulfilled in your hearing. And he sits down. Um, and, And immediately you see the reaction. And the reaction is, can you, can you believe he just said this? And they're saying things like, is this not Joseph's son? Is this not the carpenter's son? I mean, who is this guy that he would say this? How could it be? So who's this Jesus? Um, in chapter 5, 
um, you're going to see Jesus heal a man who was paralyzed. And it's not so much that he healed him, but he also pronounced that this man's sins were forgiven. And you see this, this confusion develop, and, and they're thinking, who is this man who speaks blasphemies? And because no one for, can forgive sins except God alone. The question of Jesus' identity is just swirling in the book of Luke. Um, just to kind of move on a little bit more, in, in chapter 7, an amazing scene, um, John's disciples go to seek out Jesus, and they ask Jesus, are, are you the one who is to come? Because what Jesus was doing, in a sense, it looked like something a Messiah would do, but in another sense, it, it wasn't exactly what they expected. And, and they come to Jesus, and they say, are you the one who's to come, or should we be looking for somebody else? You've got to tell us. Who are you? Um, and just an amazing scene, um, I guess a little bit later in the gospel, and this is a familiar story, but um, Jesus and his disciples are in a boat, and a huge storm comes, and Jesus is asleep, and the disciples wake Jesus up, and they're saying, Master, do you not care that we're going to die, we're going to drown? The scriptures say that water was rushing in on the boat, and it says that Jesus, and I know we've heard this before, but this is really unbelievable. Jesus stands up and he tells the winds and the waves and he tells them to be quiet. And they do. And, and immediately, rather than being, um, you know, it's not like this huge high-five moment, they get scared to death. And they say, who is this man that we've been in a boat with that even the winds and the waves would obey him? In Luke's gospel, who Jesus is is a very um, important theme. And, and at this point, and Jesus is wanting to, to have this conversation. He says, who do the crowds say that I am? And listen to how they respond. In verse 19, they answered, John the Baptist. But others say Elijah. And others that one of the prophets of old has risen. And, and I think what we can, we can at least know is that there was a lot of talk and a lot of rumors about Jesus' identity. Um, John the Baptist, at this point, John the Baptist has been killed. And a lot of people thought maybe John's come back to life and, and he's Jesus. And others had this strange kind of, kind of expectation, or it's not necessarily an expectation, but a strange kind of thought that maybe he was Elijah. See, there was this, this prophecy, in this, specifically in Malachi, that said that before the great and awesome day of the Lord, which is the day when, when God was going to execute judgment and set everything right, that a prophet like Elijah, maybe even Elijah himself, would come and he would prepare the people for that time. And, and all this to say, is, is, is Jesus John the Baptist? Is he Elijah? Is he some prophet? I, mean, I think all this is to say is that the people knew Jesus was something special and he was something different. And they associated with some sort of prophetic um, ministry of some kind. And, and Luke's not going to tell us that's wrong so much as he's going to kind of tell us that's not exactly complete. Because yes, Jesus was a prophet, but he was a lot more than a prophet. So Jesus kind of gets a gauge of what, who the crowds say that he is. And now he's going to get it intensely personal. In verse 20, Then he said to them, But who do you say that I am? And Peter answered, The Christ of God. Jesus moved beyond what do the crowds say. And he asked his followers, his people, okay, who do you say that I am? And this is a question Jesus was asking his followers 2,000 years ago. And I think he still asks his followers that 
today, tonight, in this room, who are we going to say Jesus is? Because depending on who you think Jesus is will change everything about you and your life. And it's about to radically change these disciples' life. And, and, it, and at this point, you know, we almost expect that Peter has arrived. I mean, he realizes Jesus is the Messiah. Now, now the Messiah is a very important kind of idea in the Scriptures. Um, the Messiah was the hope of the Jewish people. And, and more or less, to make a long story um, short, like I said earlier, the people of God expected God to break in one day and bring salvation to the world, to judge the wicked, to exalt the people of Israel. And they believed that this might happen through a specific king in the line of David. A king who's, who would reign on the throne forever, whose kingdom would have no end. And they were looking for this Messiah. And they, they were longing and aching for this salvation to come through this Messiah. And, and Peter identifies that Jesus is the Messiah. Um, but the only problem is, is Jesus is going to be a different kind of Messiah than they were expecting. At, at this point, they were expecting a political or a religious, um, not even religious, a political or a military kind of leader. Um, that expectation had really reached a fever pitch by the time of the first century in Palestine because the people of Israel were being oppressed by the Romans. And the Romans, not only were they Gentiles, but they were pagans and they were excessively brutal oppressors. So these people, you've got to get the picture that the people of Israel could not wait for this Messiah. But they were conceiving it in a completely wrong way. Um, One of my favorite authors, a guy named Christopher J. Wright, said it this way, the term Messiah by this time had become so loaded with hopes of a national, political, or even military Jewish restoration that it could no longer carry the understanding of Messiahship that Jesus had intended. Jesus was going to be a different kind of Messiah. So rather than this being a great moment of just triumph, the story's about to change. Um, Just this past weekend when um, Andy and Corey and Chuck and a bunch of us were in Haiti, um, we were with an organization called Mission of Hope, and um, we are going to go out with Mission of Hope to see some things around Haiti. Now, keep in mind that Haiti is a brutally um, poor country. It's been called a fifth world country. And um, the guest coordinator for Mission of Hope, her name's Amy Garrison, was getting us ready over breakfast to go out and see the things that we were going to see. And, and she felt the need to prep us for what we were going to see. She wanted us to know what we were going to get ourselves into. Does that make sense? Um, she told us, now listen guys, we're going to go see this market, we're going to see this town, we're going to see this orphanage, and we're going to see this homeless shelter. And she goes, and you can imagine what a homeless shelter might look like in Haiti. And, and she felt this need to let us know because the smell of it, the, the lack of running water, no toilets, concrete building where people lay on the ground, a lady who is literally insane um, with a gangrene foot. And this is the kind of thing we were going to see. And she felt this need to tell us, you guys got to know what you're getting into, what you're about to see. And I I think in the same way in this passage, this is what Jesus is about to do for his disciples. Because here in this moment, they have come to see that he is the Christ. And now they need to know, if they're going to follow him, they need to know where he's going to go. They need to know what it's going to be like. 
Because it wasn't going to be this moment of conquer the Romans. It was going to be way, way different. Let's take a look at it. Verse 21, or verse 20. Then he said to them, but who do you say that I am? And Peter answered, the Christ of God, verse 21. And he strictly charged and commanded them to tell this to no one. He probably did that because of their wrong expectations. Verse 22, saying the Son of Man must suffer many things and be rejected by the elders and the chief priests and scribes and be killed and on the third day be raised. For the first time in Luke's gospel, we're going to have Jesus predict his death. And, and to the degree to which they would not have understood this, I can, it's almost impossible to explain. The fact that their Messiah, Messiah meant triumph over Israel's enemies, was going to die and be rejected by the people he came to save, like this would have made no sense to them. It did not fit. It didn't compute. It made no rational sense whatsoever. But Jesus was going to go down this road, and and later in Luke 9, it says that he sets his face to go there. And down this road is going to involve suffering and rejection and death. Now, he will be raised, and he does say that. um, This suffering will be vindicated. Um, But the idea of his resurrection wouldn't have really confused him too for reasons I can't even get into tonight. So not only was Jesus going to be a different kind of Messiah, not only was he going to suffer and he was going to die, but his followers were going to have to be ready for what was going to be in store for them. Because if they're really serious about following this person that they now knew to be the Christ, it was going to get ugly. It was going to get bloody. And listen to the language, verse 23. And he said to all, If anyone would come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross daily and follow me. A cross? I mean, I mean, that is the picture of discipleship, a cross. I mean, you gotta be kidding me. See, see, this would have been just a, a just a horrific image in these guys' minds because they had likely seen men with crosses being kicked around on a way up a hill by a small band of Roman soldiers on their way to a crucifixion. They probably would have seen this happen and they knew that these guys, when they went that way, they did not come back. See guys, crucifixion, I know you know this, I know you know this, but crucifixion was the most brutal way to kill somebody that anybody could ever think of. I mean, it it was the Romans' reserved punishment for the most horrific of people, the most terrible of criminals, the most barbaric of crimes. It it was especially one of their favorite methods to crush any kind of opposition, any kind of revolt against the Roman state. There's a a story of a guy named Judas who was a a Jewish man who led a revolt and the Romans took 2,000 of his followers and crucified them along the road just to prove to anybody that there is no revolution that will happen against Rome. It was brutal, it was ugly, And I know we know this, but this happened to God. 
I mean, this is the, the direction that following Christ was going to go. And it was going to go to a cross. And this cross was going to be a daily cross. I mean, you, you can't even hardly get your mind around how horrifying this conversation would have been for these disciples. Listen to what another, another little part it says. Let him deny himself. <laughs> Just in case you've been living under a rock, like this is exactly opposite of our culture, right? The idea of self-denial. I mean, it's exactly opposite of our culture. Our culture is all about self-absorption, self-centeredness, self-focus. And to follow Jesus was to deny oneself completely. It was to let everything go. And if, and if you're like me, when, when you hear this, okay, the call to discipleship involves denying yourself, the first thing you do is, is pull out your list of kind of legalistic moral behaviors that you know you shouldn't be doing. And you're like, okay, I've got to deny myself, so I'm going to not do this anymore. I'm not going to do this anymore. I'm not going to do this anymore. But what you got to see is to deny oneself is way deeper than that. It goes beyond moral behaviors, even though that's probably involved sometimes. It was forfeiting a person's right to life. Like you are over when you decide to follow Jesus. For these disciples to hear this, it was the end of them. Jesus' call was for a radical denial of self, to take up a cross daily, and it's the same thing he calls us to tonight. And, and just when the, when the story um, couldn't get any stranger, um, verse 24 happens. So, so the, this, the disciples have come to see who Jesus is. They understand Jesus is going to be a completely different kind of Messiah. They understand he's going to suffer. Then now they've got to go to the cross. You see, guys, it, it's to follow Jesus, for Peter to stand here and proclaim that Jesus was the Son of God was to just speak his own death sentence. It was the beginning of a long road that would cost him everything. Later on in the book of Luke, it's, it's radically denying family. It's counting the cost because it'll cost everything. It is rearranging priorities. To follow Jesus down this road was going to be ugly. And then verse 24 happens. Forever would save his life will lose it, but whoever loses his life for my sake will save it. For what does it profit a man if he gains the whole world and loses or forfeits himself? Now, 
in just an unbelievable twist, this, this radical self-denial, this cr- daily cross, this death of self, this death sentence that Peter has just pronounced on his own life, somehow, this was going to be the beginning of what life really was about. And, and I guess if there's the main thing I want you to hear tonight, if you don't hear anything else, this is what you got to hear. Just like it was for, for them, same thing for us. To follow Jesus will absolutely cost us everything. To take up a cross is the way that this thing is going, this following Jesus thing is going, and it's the same thing for us too. And I think as evangelicals, we miss this because we get so used to hearing, you know, Jesus died on the cross for us, and he did. That's true. But Jesus died on the cross so that you wouldn't have to bear the wrath of God on the cross, so that you wouldn't have to spend eternity separated from him in hell. But Jesus didn't die on the cross, so you wouldn't have to. We absolutely have to go to the cross. This is what discipleship is. It's to go to the cross. But this is, according to this text, it's good news. Because this is the beginning of life. This is the beginning of life that's really life. To let go of oneself. Listen to how some of of the people who were here at this conversation and and also the Apostle Paul would talk about this. How how to to lose everything, for for it to cost everything, for it to be um, a cross. Listen listen to how they explain this. Peter and John later in Acts 6, they're going to be beaten for proclaiming the gospel. They're going to be beaten for proclaiming Jesus' name. And the text in Acts 6 said that as they were beaten, they walked away rejoicing. And here's what it says, because they were considered worthy to suffer for his name. Somehow for it to cost them everything, they saw it as a good thing. And not just a good thing, but something to rejoice over. Later on, Peter said something like this, um, When you share in Christ's sufferings, you partake of his glory. In Philippians 1, Paul would say that to live was Christ, to die, gain. Later in Philippians, Paul's going to say that his education, that his pedigree, that his family, that his achievements, that his accomplishments, he says that all of that is crap compared to really knowing Jesus. To, to let these things go, to walk down this road of discipleship that is going to cost everything, to go to this path of the cross. He says that's the way he gets to know Christ. And here's what he says, to know Christ in the, in the, in the, in the power of his resurrection and the fellowship of his sufferings. He said he'd trade everything just to know him. In Romans 8, um, Paul would say that the present suffering that he was experiencing was not even worthy to be compared with the glory that he would receive later. 
Because nothing could separate him from the love of Christ. In 2 Corinthians chapter 1, Paul would say that I am partaking of Christ's sufferings. And then he says this, but I'm also partaking of Christ's comforts. And, and I guess the main thing I'm trying to get you to see is that they saw this absolute death of them walking the road of following Jesus. They saw that as the best thing that has ever happened to them. Because to lose your life, you find it. There was a missionary um, named David Livingston. And um, David Livingston was a missionary to Africa. And he, throughout the course of his life, endured all kinds of hardships. He was in Africa for years and years and years. And he experienced suffering. He experienced sickness, anxiety, death. I think family members of him had died. Um, He spent years and years there without ever seeing anybody come to Christ. And at the end of his life, they, they wrote him and they said, Mr. Livingston, we'd like you to tell us a little bit about your sufferings. Um, tell, tell us a little bit about the sacrifices that you've made. And according to like the interview, he kind of looked at him like he didn't understand. He said, sacrifices? He said, it's not a sacrifice. To be poured out, to follow Jesus, to walk with him, to know him. To go to what turned out to be his cross. He says, it is emphatically not a sacrifice. He said, it's a privilege. He says, I've never sacrificed anything. And and, and what I want you to see is that this is the way these people speak of following Jesus. Even though it costs them death, even though it costs them everything. In this text, it says that there are rewards for those who are loyal to Christ. Um, Some of them would get a glimpse of his glory. Verse 27 talks about the transfiguration. They would get a glimpse of this man that they were going to follow down this road. But the main thing I want you to see is that Jesus was worth it to these guys. And I I think it's it's a turning point in your Christian life. When you, when it clicks for you, and it hasn't for me yet. But when it clicks for you, that, that Jesus' absolute demands over you. His call for you to deny yourself, to die. His taking everything. His just absolute asserting his lordship over you entirely. Of him leaving no part of your life untouched. It's, it's a turning point when all of a sudden you realize that this is the greatest grace that he gives. And, and hear me tonight, it's because this is the way that we get him. We get Jesus by letting go of things. We get him by denying ourselves. We get him by taking up a cross. I'll just kind of close our time together with just a little reading from from C.S. Lewis. The Christian way is different, harder and easier. Christ says, give me all. I don't want so much of your time, 
or so much of your money or so much of your work. I want you. I have not come to torment your natural self, but to kill it. No half measures are any good. I don't want to cut off a branch here, a branch there. I want to have the whole tree down. I don't want to drill the tooth or crown it or stop it, but to yank it out. Hand over the natural self, all your desires that you think are innocent, as well as the ones that you think are wicked, the whole outfit. I will give you a new self instead. In fact, I will give you myself. My own will shall become yours. This is both harder and easier than what we are trying to do. You have noticed, I expect, that Christ himself sometimes describes the Christian way as very hard, sometimes as very easy. He says, take up your cross. In other words, it is like going to be beaten to death in a concentration camp. The next minute, he says, my yoke is easy and my burden is light. He means both. And one can just see why both are true. Guys, discipleship is death. It's a lot less like a class. It's a lot more like a cross. And I I don't really know what you need to do with that tonight. I mean, for some of us in this room, there probably are um, ways that we need to begin to die to ourselves. They might be very specific. Um, There might be ways that we need to begin to to get on this road to following Jesus wherever he's going to go. There might be things we need to let go of. And, And it's not my job to tell you what those things are. But this is discipleship. It, it's, it's a call to come and die. And somehow that is how we find life. And, and one last thing. It's so easy for us to think, okay, I've heard this. I know I need to start denying myself. I mean, Joel already knew this. I mean, now you just made me feel more guilty about it. And we try to just will ourselves. We're like, okay, now I'm going to try harder. Tomorrow night, I'm not going to this. Or, or, man, if I can just start, if I can just discipline myself to work 30 minutes a day, I do this, and then all of a sudden I can start denying myself. It's so easy to just try to build it up to our own efforts. But the whole point is that you can't do it. You can't, within your natural self, die to yourself like this. You can't take up this cross. You can't will yourself to this. Does that make sense? That's why we have Jesus. Because we can't, but he did. Philippians 2 said that he emptied himself. took on the form of a servant. He became obedient unto death, even death on a cross. And it's because he did that we can We can throw ourselves at his feet and by the power of his spirit begin to walk down this road. This is is discipleship according to Jesus. It's the end of us, the beginning of life. Let's pray. God, thank you for um, this text tonight. 
Lord, a text that, as Bonhoeffer would say, bids us come and die. And Lord, I pray tonight that whatever this means for us, that you'd make that clear tonight. Lord, that you'd help us understand that as as great as education and classes and workshops and small groups and accountability groups, as great as those things are, I uh, pray that you'd help us understand that although although those things might be a part of discipleship, Lord, discipleship is following you down the road that you go. And God, I pray that you give us ears to hear um, the ways you want to lead us. God, I pray that you would give us eyes to see the direction you're heading in our lives. God, I pray that where I've been unclear, God, would you just be really clear tonight? It's in Jesus' name. Amen.